Father, we come before you, um, and you have already blessed us this morning. Beautiful, wonderful weather. Um, just a sweet time of just singing the word over one another, declaring the gospel in this place, increasing our love and our affection for you, reminding us of what is true. We praise you for all that you've done already this morning. I pray that as we receive an offering, I pray that you would use it to do great things in this community for your fame, for your renown, for your kingdom, not for ours. May, may, may it never become about me or anyone here at Flourishing Grace, or even Flourishing Grace itself. May it always be about you. May it always be about your son. And then spreading his fame and his glory and his renown throughout all of Utah and around the world. I pray that you would protect uh, the people who are in charge of stewarding those funds, that you would give them great wisdom and great care and great vision, uh, that they would be used for great things. I pray for our time in the Word this morning. I pray that you would just bless this time. I pray that in a special way you would give us a unique measure of your spirit right now. That you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds, and you give us ears to hear. That we would not be a people who sit here and sit idly as um, your, work, your Word is proclaimed, but that we would do the work of tuning our hearts and tuning our minds to listen in and say, what does the word of God have for me this morning? Would you give us that this morning? And would we leave this place transformed and changed? I know you have a word for us every time your word is open. There's something there for us. Would you show us this morning? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, let's go. Acts 27. Acts 27. We've been in Acts now. You've heard me say it if you've been around. We've been in Acts for three summers. Three summers we've been in the book of Acts. And we are wrapping it up next Sunday as our last Sunday in Acts. And so we are in Acts 27 uh, this morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can use your phone. Um, you can pull that out and just Google Acts 27. Uh, I'll be reading in the ESV, English Standard Version. But whatever version you've got is fine. Um, here's, here's what's happening. Um, the last, uh, really, third of Acts, from chapter 9 all the way to 28, so that's, that's more than a third, that's a lot, of, of, the, of the book of Acts is uh, really the story of a guy named Paul and his missionary journey, his conversion, uh, Jesus, the, the resurrected Christ, after, long after his death, appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul shows, has this amazing kind of conversion story. We've talked about it. And then he goes on to become this great missionary. He goes on these three uh, very famous missionary journeys. And now it's kind of coming to the end of this. His third and final missionary journey is over. Uh, he's been arrested uh, in Jerusalem by the Jews. Um, but then because he's a Roman citizen, he's been taken into Roman custody, but nobody can find out what he did wrong. It's like, I don't think he did anything wrong. Last week, right, he goes before King Agrippa, who's the king of this whole entire region of Judea. And King Agrippa's like, seems like a nice guy. I can't find anything wrong with him. Uh, but he's appealed to Caesar, and to, so to Caesar he must go. And so he gets on a boat bound for Rome. He has to sail to Italy. He has to sail around the, the southern coast of Asia. And uh, it doesn't go well. Kind of spoiler alert. Here's where we're going this morning. Paul's about to get into a shipwreck. A shipwreck. Um, and it goes very, very, very badly, as any shipwreck in open sea goes badly. Have, have any of you ever experienced a moment in your life where there's been complete and total hopelessness? Like, there's been a moment in your life where, you, where, you've, where you've actually thought, 
we may not get out of this alive. You've ever, have you ever been there? A few of you. It, it's rare. That's a rare thing. But there's, there's a few of you that say, man, I've been there, like where might, might not get out of this alive. We might not, we might not make it. I've had a couple of those uh, stories in my, in my lifetime. Uh, w- one in particular, uh, we were climbing Mount Rainier in, in a blizzard, and it, it wasn't going well. Uh, we actually made it. We actually made it to the summit, and uh, that was great for about 30 seconds. We're like, "Let's go home. This is miserable." Uh, it was about 14 degrees, 40 mile an hour winds, complete whiteout. I could see from about me to like the front row, and that was it. That's as far as I could see. I was like, "This is misery. This, this is pain and misery and suffering and agony, and I don't want to be here anymore. Let's go home." And we're on a rope team. There's four of us all tied together. Um, in the very front, there's a seasoned uh, climber. Her name is Bridget, one of, the, one of the toughest ladies I've ever met in my entire life, tough as nails. Uh, behind her is my father-in-law. This is his first time ever doing anything like this. Um, he's like, let's go home. Uh, and behind him is a guy, his name is Gautam. He's a, he's a software engineer from Seattle, uh, also first time ever doing anything like this. Um, and then there's me bringing up the rear, um, and on the way down, it's kind of like the anchor position. You're kind of watching over the team, making sure everybody's doing okay, everybody's doing good, trying not to fall. Um, and we get to this place, Gotham is struggling. He's struggling hard, and we get to this place where it's just not good. Uh, it's, a, it's a sheer kind of cliff on one side, this tiny little, tiny little pathway, one foot in front of the other, and then a, then a sheer kind of sloping uh, down into a big crevasse on the other side. And Bridget's like, no big deal, goes across. Um, my father-in-law's kind of falling behind, just kind of watching her feet. We're all tied together. And then Gautam, Gautam, who's been struggling for a while now, uh, begins to go. And I think in my mind, this is not good. Um, he's already fallen a few times, you know, just kind of on his butt, gotten back up, no big deal. Um, and he is, he, is, he is clearly scared out of his mind. He's not watching what he's doing. He's tiptoeing across this thing. I think about two steps onto this, like, little tiny pathway, and he, he, he falls. And he begins to slide towards this crevasse. And I think, oh, man, this is it. I've never seen my family again. Um, and I, I do what's called a, an arrest. I, I, I throw myself down. I slam my ice axe into the ice. I kick in my, I got these spikes on my shoes called crampons. I kick in my crampons and I yell, falling, so that everybody else on our team knows we're about to die. Bridget self-arrests. My father-in-law stands there, kind of looks backwards like, what's happening? I don't know. What am I doing? And it, I, I, I bury my face in the snow and just pray, come on, man. And it feels like an eternity, but it's probably about three seconds. Um, and I feel in my climbing harness the tension on the rope just go boing. And I knew. I got him. I got him. He's fine. We're, he's going to survive. We're all going to live. It's going to be fine. I believed deep within me that we were fine. I knew in the moment I wasn't going anywhere. I felt very secure. I knew we were good. And then I looked at him. He did not believe that. He's hanging over the edge. And he is just terrified. I'm pretty sure he may have peed himself. And he won't move. He just hangs there. And we're like, come on, man. Like, I can't do any more for you. I've already done everything I can do. If I move, you, you die. Uh, you've got to climb back up. And he won't do it. He is frozen by fear. He will not move. He's just, 
He's just there, dangling, and Bridget's like, hey, man, you got to climb. And he's like, nah, I'm not moving. He's like, no, 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 you got to climb. And so I yell to him, like, God, I'm listening to me. I promise I have you. I've, I've got you. You're not going anywhere. I promise you're not going anywhere. But you got to climb up. You want to see your wife and your little girl again? You got to climb. And so slowly, surely, he begins to kind of make his way up. He gets back up, and we walk off the mountain, uh, live to tell the tale. This morning in our, in our text, Paul is going to experience this moment where he is the only one who has hope. Everybody else on the boat is like gotten. They, they, they've, they've given up. It's over. They're done. They quit. But he says, no, 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 we must not quit. Here's, here's the story. Here, here's, the, here's the reality of Paul, too. This is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time Paul's got himself in this situation. I love the text. There's a famous text in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 24. Paul says this. He says, As five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day adrift at sea. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. You want to know what's crazy? That was written before the events of Acts 27. Paul's been here before. Three times he's been shipwrecked before, before Acts 27 ever even happens. He's, he's a veteran. He knows what's going on. And so here's what happens in Acts 27. Paul is placed on this ship, um, and he's transferred to a larger ship. It's a big ship, a, gray, a grain ship. There's 276 souls on board this ship, from, uh, from sailors to Roman uh, soldiers who are in charge of the prisoners. There's a number of prisoners that have been put on this grain ship that's bound for Rome. And, and long story short, it's not going well. There's, there's no major storm yet, but it's this time of year. It's late fall, and the winds are against them. They're trying to sail against the wind, and they're making ridiculously slow time. It is taking weeks and months to just go a few miles. It's misery. They're just, it's, everybody's just bored and miserable. It's not going well. And if you wait too long, right, these, they know these massive storms are going to roll in. These kind of fall, late fall, winter storms are going to roll in, and, and they know it's not going to go well. And Paul says, hey, we should, just, we should just stay in this city called Crete. They port in Crete, and Paul's like, hey, we should stay here. And, and the helmsman of the ship says, no, we're fine. We can make it to this place. And Paul's like, ah, I think it's a bad idea. And, and the Roman centurion, who's the, the leader of, he's, he's like a general in the Roman army. He's the re- leader of all the troops on board. He's like, all right, we're going for it. The helmsman says we're going for it. We're going for it. So they sail on. And a storm rolls in, a massive massive storm and it batters them for weeks for weeks luke records this luke is somehow on the same boat and he writes this he says when neither sun this is in verse 20 when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on upon us all hope of our being saved was at last Abandoned. I love that line. It's like a, it's like out of like Shackleton's Endurance. I don't know if you ever read that book, but if you haven't, do yourself a favor. Go go read the Endurance. This journey of Ernest Shackleton. It, all hope, alas, all hope of us being a save, all hope of us being abandoned. It's abandoned. There's no more hope. For all 276 people on board, they say it's over. 
There's no more use in fighting. They've been battered and beaten by the sea. They've endured physical injuries. There's broken arms and bloody faces. They've been wrecked by the ocean. And it's been days since they've seen the stars and days since they've seen the sun. And it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. And they realize, we're not going to make it out of this one. This is the end for us. There is no more hope left. All hope has been abandoned by 275 people. Paul says, oh no, maybe there's still hope. There's still hope. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss, right? You should have, should have listened. I, I told you. Not going to let that one go. Then he goes on and says this, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul says, take heart. Take heart, men. We are not going to go down with the ship. The ship's lost. It's not going to make it. But we are going to make it. So take heart. You must have heart. Why does Paul say take heart? Why should they take heart? Because they're great sailors. They're doing all the right things. Just keep working hard. Just keep getting it a little bit done. You get Just a little bit farther. Just a little bit more. If you just keep pressing a little bit harder, we're going to get there. Don't worry. Is that why? Is that why? Take heart, man. For I have faith in God. This has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with their, their work ethic. It has nothing to do with their abilities. It has nothing to do with their experience. It has nothing to do with their faith in God. Their, their faith is all gone. But Paul says, take heart. I have faith in God. One man's faith is all that's needed. One man's faith. You see, the one who has faith in God can take heart and can give heart in the midst of the storm. For most people, for most people, their, their emotions, uh, their, their outcomes, their reaction is outside of their control. In the midst of the storm, we want to think that we're in control. We want to think, man, I can do this. You know, I, I've been through some hard things before. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm all good. Everything's good. Everything's great in my life. But the truth is, for most people, when the winds begin to blow enough, when the swells rise enough in your life, 
And the doctor calls and your kid's got cancer. When your spouse leaves you a note and says, I'm not coming back. When your loved one is gone. Gone. They breathe their last. When the wind blows enough, you quickly realize you were never in control. You thought you were, but you never really were. Except for the Christian. Except for the person who has true faith in God. Paul says, take heart, because I have faith in God. How can that be? How can it be that Paul has this faith? And this isn't true for every follower of Jesus. This is a person who has deep faith in God. How can it be? How can he have this much faith? How can he be so sure and be so certain? Let me give you four things this morning, four things uh, why Paul, I believe, can have so much certainty. Number one, people who have this level of faith in God, they know the greatness of the sovereignty of God. They know God's sovereignty. They know, when I say sovereignty, what we mean by that is that um, the, the one who has made all things also sustains all things. The God of all things is in full and total control. At every moment, he's never been surprised by your situation. There's never been a moment where he's like, oh man, I didn't expect that to happen. He's always been and always will be in total control. And no one, no one can stay his hand. There is not one thing anywhere ever, not one person that can change his course, that can say, you know what, I'm going to stop God from doing what God wants to do. It's never happened, nor will it. He's always been fully in control of all things. And those who fight against the storm without him labor in vain. You cannot stay his hand. You cannot. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things, all things are according to the counsel of his will. Isaiah 40, before him the nations are like the dust of the scales. Not the weights of the scales, the dust. The dust. The psalmist says the kings of the earth are like water in his hands. He directs their path. He chooses where they go. He is in control of all things. Every square inch, every nook and cranny over all, all the earth and every corner of hell, over the depths of space, every good and every bad, he is working for his good purposes in Christ. Even in the midst of our sin, he is sovereign over that too. All of it. He is in full control. And Paul knows that. No matter how big the storm is, he calms the winds and the waves. He controls them. But by his tongue, he can silence the winds and the waves. Paul's not afraid of that. He is a God who is bigger than that. Number two, a person who has faith in God has experienced the fullness of God before. They've experienced the faithfulness of God before, or at least they know somebody who has. They've been around. This is not Paul's first rodeo. I said it earlier. This is his fourth shipwreck. He's like, oh man, God's got, God's got this. We're good. No matter what happens here, we are good. Some of you who are maybe younger in your faith, this is why I love that Flourishing Grace is a multi-generational 
church, when the wind begins to howl in your life, and man, there's pain and sorrow and suffering. There are people here around you. Maybe they got some gray hair. Maybe they don't have any hair, but they've been there before. And they hear your story of your, of your storm that's going on in your life, and they're like, oh man, let me tell you something. That's no big deal. Let me tell you about my storms. Let me tell you about some of the things that I've gone through. And let me show you, let me show you how I weathered those. They know where the anchor is. They know, as the author of Hebrews says, that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Christ, who has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Let me show you how Christ has helped me weather the storms before. Those who have been in the storms know the true anchor. They know what to cling to. They know that when everything starts to get completely upside down, they know the one thing that's not going anywhere. Christ was there before the storm, and he'll be there after the storm. And he's the one thing in the midst of all of the world that is not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. It's the one thing you can cling to, the one thing you can trust in. It's not going anywhere. The resurrected Christ is not going anywhere. Number three, they can rest. The person with faith can rest in his love for them. The Christian who has placed their contentment previously, before the storm, in the love of Christ rather than in their circumstances has a greater hope than comfort. If you place your hope in your comfort, which is what most people do, I got this amazing, comfortable job. It pays me just the right amount, and it's not going anywhere until it's gone. I have an incredible spouse that just kind of carries our family and does an amazing job, and they're not going anywhere until they're gone. I mean, I'm, I am the, I'm the example of health. Not me. I'm just saying that some people are the example of health. Always working out. Everything's good. I go to the doctor regularly, and they always say, man, you're just doing such a great job until you're not. Again, the one thing that's not going anywhere is Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 8, 37, famous text. He says, now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, when your best friend holds the cure to your greatest disease, you're good, and you know you're good, because they're your best friend. And when Christ, who has conquered sin and death, holds the cure to your greatest disease, you're good, and you know you're good because he's your best friend. And he loves you more than anybody else has ever loved you, more than anybody else ever will love you. And so we rest in his love for us. Last thing, they know, the person who has faith in God knows that it is producing something greater in them. Paul writes it this way in Romans 5, 3-4. through 4, He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My suffering is producing something for me that is greater than my suffering. It's producing a greater measure of love for God. Peter writes it this way in 1 Peter 4, 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It is revealing Christ's suffering and Christ's glory to us. When we embrace our suffering as followers of Jesus and say, men, listen, I'm good. I have a sovereign God. It's not going anywhere. We can embrace our suffering as followers of Jesus because we know all suffering, for the follower of Jesus, all suffering has meaning and purpose for our life. That's not true if you're not a follower of Jesus. Suffering is meaningless if you're not a follower of Jesus. But for the follower of Jesus, it has meaning and purpose. So when Paul stands up on that boat, he says, Take heart, men. Take heart. I have faith in God, a God who is sovereign over all things, a God who has shown up in my life before, a God who I know loves me no matter what, and a God who has purpose, even in the midst of the storm. There's a great purpose, which with you is working for his glory and for our good. Take heart. And so they do. They take heart. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, 14th night, after he says, take heart, two more weeks of being battered by the storm. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Archaeologists believe that they have actually found those four anchors off the coast of the island of Malta. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat, the life raft, into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes from the ship's boat and let it go. Think about what just happened. I don't know if you caught that, but the sailors, these experienced seamen, they drop these four anchors to stop the progression of the boat because they're afraid that they're going to run aground. They've taken these fathoms. They've dropped a rope overboard. They've counted how deep the water is, and they're like, this is not good. It's getting shallower. They, they've dropped the anchors. They stop the boat, and they say, we're out. We're out of here. Paul says, man, if they leave, I can't promise that we're all going to survive. We must have faith in God. And the centurion this hardened Roman soldier who has been trained to obey orders, to make logical decisions, rejects, rejects the sailors and the helmsmen and says, I'm listening to the Christian. I'm with that guy. How can that be? How can that be? You see, in the midst of storms, Hopeless people turn to those who have faith in God because they're the only ones with a greater hope. 
Their hope is greater than everybody else's. In the midst of the storm, there's one hope that outshines all other hopes. That person, the person who says, it's fine. My God says we're good, so we're good. And the Roman centurion who doesn't buy any of that says, I'm following that guy. Because he has a greater hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Over my years in ministry, even here at Flourishing Grace, week after week after week, people come to Flourishing Grace, they come into our doors or into the park, um, and, and they say, man, I don't really believe any of this. I, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and I'm not even really sure there's a God, but the winds begin to howl. I'm enduring something that I just don't think I can endure, endure another day. You see, friends, the world may be antagonistic towards the church, rightly so. We've, we've earned that title, by the way. That's a sermon for another day, but I promise that day will come. We've earned that title. But when the wind howls, they know where the greatest hope is. When everything else fails, it is clear who has the greatest hope? It's clear who has the greatest hope. Suffering reveals our need for a Savior. And so we turn to Him in those times. Do you have this level of faith? Are you a person who people can come to in the midst of the storm? Are you so rooted in Christ you can say, man, He's my best friend and I know that when the storms come, if, if he says I'm good, I'm good. I'm rooted in him. I have a sure and steadfast anger of the soul. Do people in your life turn to you in the midst of their storms? Or do they say, man, I can't really trust that guy or that gal? Are you somebody that people come to in the midst of the storm looking for hope and looking for a greater anger? Are you that person? Do you have that level of faith in Christ? Real quick, here's, the, here's the, the end of the story, the last of the chapter, right? So they're, they're on the boat. I've dropped the anchors. Day comes. And they can see there's a bay not far from where they are. So they cut the anchors loose and they make for the bay. They raise the sails. It's not good. But they can just barely make it out. And they run into a reef or a sandbar. They run aground. They don't make it. They're going to kill the prisoners, but... The centurion likes Paul, so they say, hey, no, let's not kill the prisoners. They all swim for it. They make it to the island of Malta. It's good, right? It's all good. They made it. The people there, they're kind. They build them a fire. They dry them out. They give them some food. It's all good, right? No, it's 2020, friends. You know it's not all good. You know it only gets worse. Paul goes to get some sticks for the fire, and he brings the sticks over to the fire, and a snake crawls out and latches onto his hand. He shakes it off, and all the people on this island of Malta, kind of there's these barbarian people, right? They don't speak Greek. They don't speak Hebrew. These barbarian people, non-Romans, they look at Paul, and they say, oh, karma. That guy's a murderer. That's why he got bit by the snake. He survived the sea, but God said, no, I got you. And so they pop their popcorn, they get their chairs, and they, they, all the village gathers and say, let's see what happens to this guy. Let's start taking bets. Is he going to swell up or is he just going to keel over dead? What's going to happen? They're like, this is a good Friday night on the island of Malta, baby. This is entertainment. But nothing happens. Nothing happens to Paul. They say, well, he's not a murderer. He must be a god. 
Friends, I, this is insane what is happening to Paul, right? He's dragged into the street. He's beaten by the Jews. He's taken into Roman custody. He's passed through the ranks again and again and again. Nobody can find anything wrong with him. He stands before the king. The king says, I don't see anything wrong with you. He turns him loose. So puts him on a boat. The boat encounters a massive storm. The boat sinks. They survive. He gets bit by a snake. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another. It's insane what's happening. And here's the reality. I know that many of us here this morning are experiencing something similar. This has been the weirdest season of life. This year, 2020, it just keeps on taking. It's like the moment you think we're good, it's like, oh, yeah, really? You think you're good? Let me show you, right? In the beginning of the year, Kobe Bryant dies. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is the most horrible thing that could possibly happen. 2020 is like, really? Let me show you what's worse. Global pandemic. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh, really? How about some murder hornets? Like, what? What is happening? Well, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. Oh, really? How about some riots in the street of every major city in the United States and even around the world. Well, that's for sure the worst that could possibly happen, right? Oh, really? How about I not send your kids back to school? No! That's the worst thing that could happen. Never mind. I won't even say it. I won't even say it. It just feels like it gets worse and worse. And all joking aside, for some of us, this has truly been an insanely hard year. There's other things that have been taken. Yeah, our friendships and kind of social relationships have been taken by this. Our, our comforts have been taken by this. Our good food and delicious restaurants have been taken by this. But for some of us, we've lost some real things. It's been a rough one for me. Lost my dad this year. Lost my most precious earthly possession. It was stolen from me this year. My dog died. It's not a joke. I know it sounds like a joke. It sounds like a punchline, but it's not. I promise my dog died. Uh, it just keeps on coming. I'm supposed to go to Disney World. That didn't happen. It's like, what, what more are you going to take? But some of us, some of us have a greater hope than all of those things. So, some of us have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, as the author of Hebrews writes. Some of us know that Christ cannot be taken from us. 2020 might take everything you got, but it can't take him. He is not going anywhere. And so for those of you who are right now battered by the storm, I want to encourage you to cling to the one thing that's not moving in your life. Everything else might be shifting by the sea. Everything is being thrown around. But there's one thing in your life that's not moving. This immovable force that, that wants a relationship with you, that wants to draw near to you, has given his life that you might know him and might be able to draw near to him. What does it look like for you to give your days to him? To say, Christ is the beginning of my morning. Christ is my afternoon. And Christ is my evening. And while everything else in between might be stripped bare, I know he will always be there. To have one thing in your life that is sure and steadfast. To be that anchor. 
and to be that person that everybody else looks to and says, man, how do you do that? You say, let, let me tell you about my best friend. Let me tell you about my anchor. Let me tell you about my rock. Let me pray for you all. Jesus, we come before you this morning. I pray that you would help us to be a people who build our house on the rock, not on the sand. We know that the storms of life are going to come. If we're not in one, in one now, one is coming for us. We've either been in one, we're in one now, or we're getting ready to go into one. And while everyone around us might give up hope, there's always hope for those who are in Christ. So would you show us? Would you teach us? Would you help us to cling to you, to find our comfort in you, to find our faith in you, to find our rest in you? Come what may, best friend you are a rock and you're not going anywhere so therefore we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise praise in your name